And so I thought, no one's going to care about me because the only way to get attention online is to take a strong position. And I don't have that. All I had was curiosity. And so I just kept interviewing and feeling bad for myself for not having these strong opinions. And what I found was every time I did an interview and was curious about someone else, their opinions would kind of get transmitted out into the world. And people would discover me because I helped them discover this the interviewee's opinions and the interviewee's experience. And it wasn't this dramatic, I'm taking a stand, the world hates me or loves me and they're all coming to my site and traffic grew and people knew me. It was more of a slow, gradual build where I would interview someone and some of their fans would come and listen, some of their employees would come and listen, and a few of them would come back to the next interview and the next interview after that. You're listening to The Business of Thought Leadership with Nikki Ballou and Michael Palmer. Welcome to the first ever live edition of the podcast, The Business of Thought Leadership. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou, and do we have an amazing episode lined up for you today. Our guest is a legend. He is one of the pioneers in the internet startup space. He grew up in New York City. He started a company that he sold for $30 million, and today he runs one of the most popular podcasts in the world. He interviews proven entrepreneurs, teaching their hard-won secrets of how to create success as entrepreneurs. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the legendary Andrew Warner. Hey. Welcome, Andrew. Thanks for having me here. It's, it's an honor to have you on the podcast, my friend. So, Andrew, our listener, both here live as well as back in the digital yeah. world, is super interested in how you've come to be this icon, this thought leader in the startup space. Tell us your backstory. How'd you come to be Andrew Warner? You know, first I should say, I didn't sell the company for 30 million. We did 35 plus million dollars in sales, but I was impressed that you did that intro without notes. Thank you. So how far back do you want me to go? As far back as you like. All right. Um, I graduated from school and I had this idea that I had to be an entrepreneur, but I wasn't sure what kind of entrepreneur. Any of you guys feel that, that from birth you wanted, right? Guy without pants, her behind him. <laughs> that's the first time that's been said on this podcast too. <laughs> that's what his shirt says, goodbye pants. Um, yeah, just like that. And so I didn't have any ideas. It's not like I had a passion for any one thing, but I saw my brother was sending out email newsletters and he couldn't figure out what to do with it. And I said, I think I could find something to do with it. And so I started adding advertising to it. And then that brought in a little bit of revenue and that allowed us to invest in more growth to grow our email newsletters. And then we hit on this idea to do greeting cards, you know, online greeting cards, things like happy Monday, your mom might've sent it two years ago. And when she did, she'd also have an opportunity to sign up to our newsletter, which is how we grew our newsletters. And because she'd send it to not just one person, she'd probably send it to all of her kids, we'd get some viral growth, right? One person sending a greeting card saying happy Monday to multiple people. Some of those people would then come back and send more greeting cards. And we ended up with this really nice viral growth and the revenue came from advertising. And that's, that's the business that we did. And... After we sold the company, again, not for 30 plus million dollars, but <laughs> we did well, I just kind of bummed around for a bit because I think I burned out. And so I sold everything. I, I remember going into work once when I was 22 years old and seeing 
an office full of people whose husbands and wives depended on how well I did, you know? Like if I didn't do well, their family can't pay the rent and it was just a lot of pressure. And so after after the company, I decided that what I want to do is not own anything, no responsibilities. Hmm. So I gave everything up. I went to and lived on the beach in, in uh, LA for a while. Then I backpacked through Europe, part in Vegas, part in Vegas. Party in Vegas, yeah. very good. And then I started uh, doing interviews with entrepreneurs because I was curious about how they built their businesses. I, I always love that. I love biographies. I want to see how people started what they did and, uh, and it became a business for us. That's what Mixergy is today. Mixergy is, is known for spreading the gospel of entrepreneurship and learning from top entrepreneurs. And to me, what you said is brilliant because in, in my opinion, Entrepreneurs are the most important people in society. All social progress happens because an entrepreneur has a vision. All good in the world happens because an entrepreneur has the courage to take what's in his or her heart and get out there willing to be ridiculed, willing to be rejected, yet repeatedly going out there and doing what they need to do to help make the world a better place with their with their dream and their vision. What you do, Andrew, and what's so brilliant about Mixergy is you bring these stories to life, not just for the ecosystem of entrepreneurs, but the rest of society at large. What gave you the idea to create this and turn it into a business of its own? I always wanted to study. I, I love reading biographies. I just would read biographies as a kid and be inspired by them. I do it as an adult. I want to hear how people did it. Um, and I saw the reaction that it got, right? Founders of, uh, of, of some of the top tech companies were listening and they were coming back and telling me what they heard. And then they said, I'm t it's time for me to do an interview. And it was a really nice uh, response that I got from it. The business part of it didn't happen for a long time. For a long time, I said, I cannot accept advertising. This has got to be something that's pure. Like advertising is going to ruin it. Selling is, is going to ruin it. Um, and then I thought people won't take it seriously unless I accept some ad money, you know, like if they see it as a hobby, they're going to think of it as something that I, that I don't care fully about. So I took in some advertising money and it wasn't anything significant. And I said, well, I'm not going to sit on it. So I invested it in an editor at the time I was editing my own interviews because it wasn't, it's not that hard to edit an interview. And, and that kind of gave me more time to find more guests. And then I found more guests and that generated a little more money. And then at some point I said, I don't want to rely on advertising. I want people to love my work so much that they'd be willing to pay for it. So I said that all my old interviews are paid only. You have to pay to get them. And it became this big thing online where people were ripping into me and all the communities that loved me hated me all of a sudden. But it became a nice revenue source. Um, and also it tied my interest to the audience. You know, I had to create something that they really wanted, wanted bad enough to pay for, not just listen to. And so today the newer interviews are free, the older ones are paid. That's incredible. Um, so as you figured out a way to commercialize this, your thought leadership became valuable in the marketplace. So one of the things we, we like to ask every single one of our guests is how did your thinking evolve? How did it become sharper when you had to commercialize it? And what advice would you give to the people listening live as well as the people that are going to download this on how they can do that with their thought leadership? I'm glad you said that because I asked, I asked everyone why they came here and why they're not wearing pants and all that stuff. And there's a woman in the back who said specifically that she was curious about thought leadership. Like, how do you do it? And the truth is for me, I, I didn't really have any 
strong opinions. I had strong curiosity, you know, and I'd see people go online and write these blog posts where they take these strong stands like you should never buy advertising. If you're buying advertising, it means your product sucks that you have to pay to get people to use it, right? They'd have these strong opinions. Like you should not own anything. You have to live a minimal. I don't feel that way. And so I thought no one's going to care about me because the only way to get attention online is to take a strong position. And I don't have that. All I had was curiosity. And so I just kept interviewing and feeling bad for myself for not having these strong opinions. And what I found was every time I did an interview and was curious about someone else, their opinions would kind of get transmitted out into the world and people would discover me because I helped them discover this, the interviewee's opinions and the interviewee's experience. And it wasn't this dramatic, I'm taking a stand, the world hates me or loves me and they're all coming to my site and traffic grew and people knew me. It was more of a slow, gradual build where I would interview someone and some of their fans would come and listen. Some of their employees would come and listen. And a few of them would come back to the next interview and the next interview after that. Like there's a founder here who I've gotten to know, um, Justin from a company called Needles. I interviewed him about a month ago. Great interview. He said after the interview was done, not only did he promote it, but he also showed it to his mom, his dad, his employees, right? And his his that's mom so said, cool. I didn't realize that's what you did. His dad said, I knew you were selling, I thought you were selling drugs for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and I asked him if he was like, well, anyway, I asked him actually, I like to do a lot of heavy research. And in my research, I saw that there was a porn site sending him traffic. I said, what's your connection to porn? Because <laughs> oh <my laughs> I thought if I confronted him, maybe I'll come up with something, you know? And his dad said, I thought there was some connection. Andrew pulled it. So by doing that, he was sharing my interview and also sharing my site with his employees, with his audience, with his customers, with his parents, and some of them come back. And I don't know yet that I've gotten this thought leadership. What I do have is a really good platform where entrepreneurs talk and where I don't have to take a bold stand just to have clickbait. That's fascinating. Although I'm, I'm going to challenge you and say you do have thought leadership because what you just said is you have a platform that allows an entrepreneur to, in a very unvarnished, real and raw way, share themselves and their dream and their mission with the world. You're known for that. I, I asked to interview you. I don't know if you know that. Yeah. I get a lot of Thanks. people asking to come on the show because I'm fascinated by how you've gotten all these incredible men and women to come and be so open and real with people. So to me, thought leadership is someone who's done some thinking and you've obviously done some thinking. You've thought that you know taking a bold stand isn't the way. The way is to be curious and curiosity is allowing people to bring out their message to the world. So your thought leadership stands to me as someone who takes the smartest, most effective, proven entrepreneurs in the world and really in a very powerful way through your curiosity and non-judgment allows them to share their secrets with a much wider audience. So what you do is you bring the power and the secrets of the best entrepreneurs in the world to an audience of entrepreneurs. And if you're listening to this and you know who Andrew is and you know who Mixer is, does that make sense from what I'm saying to you? Nod your head if that makes sense, right? So to me, that's thought leadership in and of itself. And not only is it thought leadership, people are fighting to get on your show. Heck, I'd love to be on your show. I'm not a tech entrepreneur, but I just love the way you ask questions. I love the way you draw stuff out of people. And to me, that's powerful. What, what had you be this guy who was able to, in an iterative fashion, get people to open themselves up 
this which you're like Napoleon Hill used to be way back in the day. Yeah. Remember how he interviewed all the big titans from the day? You know what? What it comes down to is, remember Seth Godin did this uh, online webinar, and the the woman who gave him an intro said, "And now we've got the great author Seth Godin. He's going to tell us his secrets." And I thought, "No, he's not." And you're not really getting his secrets. And that's not what this is about, but you're just using the word secrets because it's kind of a cliche and it came to your mouth. And so you let it out. I thought, I don't want to do that. And so when Seth came on, on Mixergy in the beginning, I remember thinking he's got this message of tribes that we all should have tribes. And I think the the subtitle of his book was, we want you to lead us. And I, and I thought, nobody seems to want me to lead them. How do I get this tribe? I'd like people to come and listen to my interviews. And so it might've sounded confrontational, but what I said to him was, I pulled out books. I said, look, here's a book of Sam Walton. He created Walmart, one of the biggest companies on the planet, right? Here's Ted Turner, created Turner, sold it to uh, Time Warner, billionaire. And uh, here's Warren Buffett. I said, not one of them has a tribe. And you're really telling me that to be successful, I have to have a tribe? Now that sounds very confrontational. I'm bringing up books, I'm holding in front of him, right? I'm telling him, I don't think you're right. And the research says you're not. But I saw the smile on his face when I asked it because he said, here's a real question. Here's someone really struggling to understand something. He saw what I was trying to do, right? I'm not just flinging a question because it's on a piece of paper. I'm trying to figure out what do I want to know in this world? Is this thing of building a community really important? And he addressed it and he addressed it well. He said, Andrew, the world is changing. Back then you didn't need to build a community. Today you do. And he gave me a bunch of examples of people who did build communities in order to build their businesses. And I... I got that. And then I said to him, all right, you want me to build a tribe? Dude, I barely have anyone listening to me, right? How am I going to get a tribe? I can't get 100 people to listen to this episode, uh, Seth. In fact, I only have had Seth on, I told him, because I was hoping more than 100 people who are fans of his would discover. How do I get a tribe? And then he told me the story of Barack Obama. He said, look, Barack Obama at one point, and there was a New York Times article about it, was in a car by himself with this photographer and there were no crowds. There was nobody paying attention to him. He was the underdog in the election and he just kept at it, at it, sending his message out there, showing up every day, even when there wasn't a crowd. Remember when we were standing here, right? There was hardly anyone sitting in the audience and it was- It was my friend and my wife-to-be. That's it. (laughs) And it feels like it should be nerve wracking when there's a big audience, but you could see when, when we were talking yesterday, people were starting to ham it up, including me, when there's a big audience, right? It's easier when there's a big audience. Absolutely. When there's a small audience, it's so much harder. Your insecurities come out, right? So he talked about how Barack Obama just kept at it. And he said, Andrew, you have to just keep going and communicating your message and not pay attention constantly to the insecurity that's in your head. And so... These questions might seem a little aggressive. They might seem like I'm challenging people, but what I'm really trying to do is figure something out. And I know that if I'm really honest about what I'm trying to figure out, that other people are doing it. I know that there are other people who are thinking the exact same thing. That's powerful. You can clap. It's good. It's live audience clap. So I would argue though, Sam Walton did have a tribe. It was maybe not the kind of tribe Seth Godin had in mind, but Mm -hmm. the fact that he was able to get people that worked for him be happy about working at Walmart in an age where that wasn't really the motif in corporate America in any way, shape, or form, and get people who'd been used to shopping at places like JCPenney and so forth to come uh, shop at Walmart instead was tribe building of a sort. 
You know what? You're right, actually, that in the early days of Walmart, employees liked it so much that they would do the Walmart cheer, right? Give me a W, give me an A, give me an L, give me a wiggle. And they would all like the employees do a wiggle, right? And before email, he had, I read his uh, Made in America book, great biography, uh, where he talked about how he did it. And he said that he, before email, he would have these these screens where he would broadcast the company meeting so that everyone, including the guy who was just standing at the door, got to know what the mission of the company was, why they were trying to low pri- lower prices. You're right. He did have that. And he did the little hula dance when they beat their the, the analyst estimates the uh, first time they did it in a while. He put put on the grass hula skirt. Sam Walton, 78 years old, one of these. It was really so you're cool. you're a fan of biographies, too? Oh, big time. Big time, big time. I think reading biographies is a way to have conversa- uh, conversations with the world's greatest people. And that's a little bit why I do podcasts because I get to have a conversation with some of the smartest people in the world like you and, and, and dig into how you got to be where you are. So it's powerful, powerful stuff. So here's, here's another question I have for you. So you've, you've, you've got a podcast, it's got a following, you, you've commercialized it. Have you thought about what other ways you can leverage this expertise you've built in to get, you know, the world's smartest entrepreneurs to, to come and reveal themselves to your audience. And, and those thoughts, what, what, what are you planning on doing with that going forward? I don't know. You know what? I'm wrestling with that. I do. I, back, I remember doing a scotch night at my house and I got to invite these people who I interviewed. Some of the best entrepreneurs out there. I'm living in San Francisco, so it's easier for me to, to get to know them. I thought they're all just here in my house, right? Like the founder of Reddit. How cool the, is that? So cool. The, uh, one of the, this, this author that so many of us admire, Nir Eyal, went back home and he wrote this post for TechCrunch saying, one of the hardest parts about living in San Francisco is he was looking at this scotch night in my house and these incredible people and you always feel inferior to someone or the, there's a vulnerability to feel inferior to someone in, when you're in an environment like that. And you're right. I have access to all these people. I'm not, I'm not sure yet. I don't know that answer. You know what? I'd love to speak with you offline because uh, I, I think you've got you an incredible- now? What do you think? Okay. So uh, I'll tell you, you're, you're charging people for access to some of these interviews. Why, don't, why not take and distill your top 20 interviews and turn it into a book? Why not go and speak in front of certain audiences of entrepreneurs and take a keynote fee? Why not think about how to take some of the things that they've shared with you that you've noticed they have in common, just like Napoleon Hill did, and put together a program, a startup boot camp for the next generation of entrepreneurs? Mm. These are three things yeah. I think that you could do immediately, but obviously with a little more, more depth and thinking behind it, why not have a, a, a scotch night at home instead of calling a scotch night, so have, have an Ask Seth night or have a, an Ask Reed Hoffman night, something like that. You know, that could be kind of cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But we can keep the scotch in that. Well, you can totally keep it. Just don't call the scotch in that. You can totally keep the scotch in that. But um, so I gave you a few ideas. What do you, what do you think? Do any of them resonate for you? Yeah. Yeah. I think the idea of collecting what I've learned from them and and turning it into a book that that outlives me is is something I've been wanting to do for a while. Okay. Well, there you go. That, that's powerful. Now, the audience is sitting here with you and many of them, you know, admire you, have heard your podcasts and they're here because they want to they hear from you. Things that they can take into their own lives to create their own glorious future. Everybody's got their own existing current situation, yet there's a heroic, glorious future that they're thinking about. 
that they want to create for themselves. You had that in mind when you got started in business. You have it in mind even now as you're contemplating your next steps. What advice would you give to the people sitting here and to the people listening on the download on how they can do that? What are the things that they must do and what are the things they have to avoid? To do that thing that they want? Yes. You know, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. So I've got kids and I love playing with the kids. I love taking them to the playground. I love coming home, even if I don't have to, being home and playing with them and dealing with them screaming and then getting them into bed. And it's like two hours, three hours minimum of doing all that. And I think you have to sacrifice that if you really want to do something bigger. When I started that greeting card company that you talked about, we... I would come home and work again. I would wake up in the morning and that's where my thought would be. Like, what do I do to get another 1%, another bit of, another bit of progress, Hmm. right? That's all I thought about, this sense of obsession. I've been walking around here and I think about who else can I want, can I meet? And I wish my wife was here. And why am I not holding her foot more when we're sitting on the couch, right? Nice. And I'd like to sit in the sun and read a book. I think that those thoughts are kind of poison to this big dream. Right? If you really want to do something big, in my experience anyway, and all I could do is base it on my experience, you got to sacrifice that and say, screw it. More of my thoughts need to go to this thing that I'm obsessed with. Right? You talked about Napoleon Hill. His phrase was a burning desire. Sorry, burning right? desire, yeah. When I was in school, I had, I found an old record of him talking and he had like this high pitch. Yeah. No, not like that. It was like a burning desire and you have to. (laughs) So I clipped that and I turned it into an MP3 and I put it on loop to just remind myself, you have to just be obsessed with this. It's okay if you're obsessed with this. And so I'd go to sleep and I'd hear a burning desire. (laughs) <laughs> oh my God. A that's burning awesome. desire. You and then in the morning. That. That's a perfect Napoleon Hill impression, by the it way. It really, yeah. His, his old tapes are really good. And then in the morning, it would do the exact same thing. And um, I think that's the difference. You know what? That's a game changing difference. It, 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 it's funny. I've interviewed some of the, the most successful business people in the world, some of the top lead, thought leaders in the world. Every single one of them says, either exactly what you said or some variation of it. Every single one. There is no such thing as a work-life balance. There is having a burning desire, having an obsession, having a desire to make what Steve Jobs called your dent in the universe. And that's really, really important. What are the things they have to avoid? There's, I'm, I'm like giving you some white noise on, uh, or just quiet on the mic, which is not something I love when I'm listening to a podcast, but I want to give you thoughtful answers. Uh, when you're a thought to give, leader, you have to think yeah. first, so I totally get it. <laughs> I was supposed to give a talk yesterday, right? They invited me here to do it all the way from San Francisco. They're taking great care of me. They know I love scotch, so they've got me my favorite scotch. I don't know how they even figured out what my favorite, what is my favorite scotch is. Uh, Lafroig. Really strong, I, I right? Know, I know the brand. Good stuff. I've brand. got some. Yeah. We'll, we'll drink it later. Uh, and you know what I thought about is I hope it rains so then I don't have to talk and I won't f*** it up. Oh, my. <laughs> what if Jeff goes after me and everyone thinks that he was funnier and more interesting because Jeff has been talking for years and he organizes conferences and – 
I think you have to avoid that. You have to recognize that that voice is in your head all the time and just notice it. And when you notice it, it loses its power. If you really want it to lose its power, question it. Why am I thinking that? Is that really true? And then you have to give it some time. And then you have to give mental space to the other side of you. So for me, it was noticing that there was a part of me that was hoping it was going to rain and noticing that it was starting to trickle and saying, great, it means maybe I won't have to do it. When I noticed that, I had to realize, wait, that's not the person I want to be, right? And mm. Question. I call it the countermind. Anything I want to do, there's a part of my head that wants to counter it, right? So I, thought leadership right there, the countermind. There you go. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, that is something that I've noticed about myself in the audience and I've talked a lot about. And then the other part, I didn't give enough time to, right? I really want to talk about chatbots and I didn't give enough thought as I came in here to what I want people to walk away from. What's the one thing? If you guys heard me, you're nodding because you and I are friends now, right? <laughs> I, but did you hear me talk yesterday? Yes. You did, right? At one point I stopped and I said, what I want you all to do is walk away from this and create a chatbot when you go home. It's because as I was walking out around there, I said, what do I want to leave people with? And when I connected with that, I felt good. I could fumble things and I could, I could do well. And then I also gave myself time. I forced myself not to think about the first line or the second line, but forced myself to remember that I was at this talk in San Francisco with these guys who were brilliant minds when it comes to chatbot. And they were talking like brilliantly. And I still was able to come in and hold my own and get their attention. And at the end, they both said, well, can you help us think through what we should be doing with these chatbots to make it more approachable to people because we think we're going over their heads. And I had to reconnect with that. And if you've seen me over the years wear beads like this, it's because I have to have something that forces my mind to stay focused on what I want, right? Mm -hmm. to, to not give in to this countermind stuff because otherwise – you may not see it in my words, but you'll feel it that I shrink if I if I think I hope it's going to rain, right? You'll see that yeah. I'm waiting for disaster and you won't want to listen to my words because you're going to pay attention to my weakness. Instead, I, I just find something that I want and I, I focus on that and I use these beads to, to stay obsessed. So for me, it was get them to have a chatbot. That's all I wanted. If I could do that, I get psyched. If I could get them to have a chatbot, then they'll remember that I gave a good talk. If I could get them to have a chatbot, then then the organizers, right, are going to say, Andrew's not just someone who's talking and we're flying and drinking with, but he's someone who has impact afterwards. And so I'd walk around with these beads and I'd go, just get them to have a chatbot. And I'd move a bead, get them to have a chatbot and I'd move a bead, right? And the reason I use the beads is I found that in the past I would get very distracted by my countermind thoughts. And I would spend a lot of time thinking about them. But when it comes to, I call it my true mind, like what I really want, what's truthful. The true thing that I want is for you guys to have a chatbot. The truth is that I did have this talk in San Francisco and I, I did well, even though I was talking with these great minds in the chatbot space, right? That truth, I don't give much time to. If I stop and I say, what do you want? Well, I want them to have a chatbot. I'll think about it once. I'll think about it twice and go, yeah, yeah, I got it. And I'll move on, right? So the countermind will go in an infinite loop that I don't pay attention to, kind of like the old Napoleon Hill in my, in my bedroom, <laughs> nice. right? A burning desire, a bur right? The countermind <laughs> goes over and over. The true mind doesn't do it. And so if I have these beads, I'm kind of forced to think about it and move a bead, forced to think about it and move a bead. And I won't stop until I do a full round. These are, this is, I've looked it up on Google. It's called the guru bead. So I go from the guru bead to the guru bead, right? Nice. And that way I'm holding myself accountable making sure that I stay focused. And I think I did a really good job yesterday. And, and I was happy about it. When I talked to people afterwards, I saw that they took the message and I felt free in my own skin enough that I wiggled my butt. And also when there were a couple of points where 
I could have been insecure where Boris stood up and like challenged me. I didn't shrink from that challenge and I was able to like use it to express what I wanted to do and have fun with it. When there was a point there where I said, when my mom sends me cards, I don't read it for, <laughs> for weeks. Uh, I don't open it up. That seems very jerky, right? But um, instead of getting lost in my head about it, I stayed focused on what I wanted. And I found that that's, that's what works best for me to be aware of my countermind and how much it's going on in my head and tune away from it and find ways to exercise my true mind. What do I really want out of the experience? Boom. (laughs) So you're listening to this. You got to be thinking to yourself, Andrew's just giving you some gold. So this concept of the countermind is very powerful. I have that, you have that. If, you're, if you think about it, there's, there's this thing that's going on in your mind that's always trying to take you out of your greatness, take you out of the game. And then your true mind is that real part of you, that best part of you. That's what, that's what Andrew just said, isn't it? Yeah. In a sense. And taking that and finding a way to get to that's powerful. Earlier today at the Unconference, you know, my better half, Teresa, she's uh, um, a master results coach for the biggest transformational leader in the world. I'm not allowed to use his name in a public forum, but y'all know who he is. He's really tall. So she was talking about how, as human beings, we create states. We can create a state that has us completely disempowered. So you could be sitting, you could be slouched over, you could have your countermind going on and on about, oh, I, I wish it would rain. I wish that I don't have to do this because I don't want to mess it up and blah and blah and blah. And, and, and your physiology would start to shrink and shrink and shrink. Or you could start having your true mind be there, start telling you powerful things like, I got this, I got this. I'm going to give these folks something about these chatbots. Chatbots are the thing they need to get. I'm on a mission to get this done. I'm the man. I can make it happen. You stand taller. You stand straighter, you know, and, and your power and your physiology and the words you say all come together. That's what Teresa showed us earlier today, showed myself and, and, and Brent, who's in the audience, how to do this. And it was, it was incredible. You just demonstrated that. I think that's the name of your book how to stop your countermind from taking you out of the game. That could be maybe the subtitle. You can probably <laughs> catch your title up top, but that's, that's just powerful, powerful stuff. So, Andrew, someone's listening to you and they're thinking in their mind, you know, their countermind's got them. They're in the grip of that countermind right now. They've got a big dream. They've got a glorious future they're looking at, but their current circumstances suck, suck being a technical term, and they haven't been able to get out of it. What do you tell them? How do you help them use their true mind to get out of it? By the way, are you literally wearing rose-colored glasses? I literally am. You are, huh? (laughs) That's me. I'm a rose-colored guy. (laughs) So the question is, how how do you get out of the countermind? Yeah. I think the most important thing I'd suggest is that you find a topic that you're interested in, something in your life that you want to focus on and challenge yourself to be aware of your countermind, to just recognize when it's there. So I, th- I didn't realize that I had these thoughts of I wish it would rain. I had to stop and think about what's in my head and then realize how often it was going on. I think if you do that, you'll really start to see the problem and the opportunity. So whatever it is that you want out of this event or when you come back, find something meaningful in your life. Like, is it a relationship? Is it starting a business? Is it growing your business? Is it fu- getting funding? And then just start listening to what that countermind is saying and 
you'll recognize that it's going off much more than, than you realized before. That's powerful stuff. Andrew, we like to end every episode of the podcast by asking you, our expert, what are your top three expert action steps that you recommend the listener take on in their life, in their business to take it to the next level? What are yours? Based on what we're saying now, I would say um, be aware of one thing that you want to do. Write down the name of it. So is it getting funding? I had this one entrepreneur came up to me at a conference set and said, Andrew, I'm trying to raise money. I said, okay, so raising money is your thing. What's your countermind saying to you? And he said, well, he gave me a list of all the things that was going on in his head, right? I said, what's, what's the one true mind thing that you want to focus on? And he said, get the lead. If I could get the lead investor, then everything else is going to fall in place. Stop focusing on everything else. So he did that. I handed him his beads, and, uh, my, the beads that I was wearing, and he just kept saying, get the lead mentally, get the lead and moving a bead. And he ended up getting his lead investor and we celebrated and we recorded an interview. And um, I'd say the same thing. So just find the one thing that you want. Be aware of the countermind thoughts and then challenge yourself to just buy a set of beads. I got these on Etsy. There's a woman on Etsy who makes them for like $4.95. Get a a set of beads and just keep working that uh, true mind statement. So the Mixer G Guru beads are going to be on sale on the Mixer G (laughs) site for $49.95. I'm just kidding. That's great. That's fantastic. Okay. So, Andrew... Thank you so much for being uh, on the show. It's been a real honor to have you here. Is there anything you'd like to let the folks know about that uh, they can do in order to consume your content or uh, listen to the podcast or anything else that you'd like to promote? Now's the time to do it. Sure. Um, I'd love everyone who's listening to this to go check out my podcast. It's Mixergy, M-I-X-E-R-G-Y, or just look up Andrew Warner. And if you're ever in San Francisco, let me know so that we can have a scotch night. Love it. Love it. That wraps up another episode of the podcast, The Business of Thought Leadership. In order to access some of the things that our fabulous guests talked about today, they'll be in the show notes. Until next time, goodbye. You've been listening to The Business of Thought Leadership with Nikki Ballou and Michael Palmer. For more information and to download the resources mentioned in this episode, please visit us at thebusinessofthoughtleadership.com. Thank you for listening.